Today's sponsor is Audible.com, who has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at www.audibletrial.com slash Trending Topics with BB. Hello and welcome to another rousing edition of Trending Topics with BB. I am your humble host, Brooke Brown, hence the BB. I, first and foremost, want to give a shout-out to all you listeners that are finding this podcast, that find my bonus episodes, my soapbox that I preferably get on uh, entertaining. And head over to bbmediaindustries.com slash trendingtopicswithbb for all the links to where you can get this, whether you are iOS or Android, you have no excuse. Speaking of iOS... If you are on iTunes right now or can during this ch- this intro, head over to iTunes and uh, subscribe first to the podcast. Second, uh, click the five-star rating and give us a little comment that helps this podcast be found by other listeners, and that's awesome. And you Android people that have Stitcher on your phone or if you have Stitcher in your car, uh, please give a rating as well to this podcast. Uh, that will be much appreciated uh, in terms of helping other listeners find this podcast. Now, uh, now that that's really out of the way, really, uh, let's move on to what this episode of Trending Topics with BB is about. This is an interview with Monoverse, which is an alias for a awesome producer and DJ up and coming, but not that you haven't heard his work if you are a trance music fan. You've heard his releases on a lot of well-known labels out there. So if you ever get a chance to see him on gigs coming up or listen to his radio show that we talk a little bit about as well as a lot of other releases, uh, check him out. I think you'll really enjoy his insight into music and trance music as a whole. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Please enjoy this awesome chat with Monoverse. Well, again, I thank you for doing this and and joining the podcast this week. Um, So uh, I know we're on, you called me Eastern Time, but I'm all the way over here in Arizona. Most people know that I'm in Arizona. So you're on. Yeah. Um, So... Before we kind of get into kind of the new projects you're doing and, and kind of what I've been following lately, you want to, I know you as Moniverse, but a lot of people don't, maybe haven't been to your website like I have or, or you know, kind of been following your career here for a while. So kind of talk about kind of where that came to be and, and kind of where you are now in terms of trance and progressive music. Sure. Um, let's see. Well, I started producing music when I was about 19 years old. I was already uh, DJing at that point and collecting music and playing outside of my bedroom, and I decided that uh, I wanted to pursue music production. Uh, when I first started out, it wasn't as monoverse. I actually had a different alias back then, and then I started working in a collaborative project with two other guys uh, online uh, that was called Adastra, and, you know, life kind of gets in the way of a three-person collaborative group sometimes, so I started producing just my own music again, and uh, that's when I picked up the alias Moniverse and started working with record labels like uh, Infrasonic and Alter Ego Records, you know, small independent trans labels, and uh, over time, I worked my way up, started working with bigger labels like uh, Enhanced Music at first, and then 
uh, Armada Music. Uh, a lot of people know me for my releases on uh, Marcus Schultz's label, Cold Harbor Recordings now. And, uh, yeah, so that's where I am now. Um, so, I mean, more recently I've played a couple bigger shows like uh, uh, EDC New York at MetLife Stadium uh, two years ago, and then um, most recently Governor's Island in New York with uh, Ali and Fila for FSOE. And, um, yeah, that's where I am now, just working on music and uh Keeping up with my radio show, which airs twice monthly on uh, After Hours FM, and uh, you know I run that as a podcast as well. So it's just more the same, you know, keeping up with the radio shows, the uh, the productions and remixes, and just keeping moving forward, you know. <laughs> right, and you said so. At nineteen, you were DJing. Um, was there like a trigger or, or a reason? I, I'm just always curious because you always see the. DJs are also producers like yourself. So other than producing the music, what kind of made you start producing after being a DJ? Or is it just basically how the scene has gone? Well, yeah, I it, it was kind of a mixed thing because I always wanted to pursue, uh, you know, DJing seriously. But in order to get further, you know, get further than local gigs, uh, you have to produce your own music. And plus... Um, the learning curve for DJing is super simple. You can learn how to DJ, especially, you know, floor-to-the-floor electronic music. It's super easy to, to DJ and beat match. So there's not much really <laughs> – I, I don't want to say that, that there's not a talent in it because reading the crowd and everything, that is a talent, but the actual technical side of DJing is actually super simple. So at a certain point when you, you know, practice in your bedroom – uh, for hours on end for a couple of weeks, you realize, well, there's not much to this except for track selection. And I always felt like at that point that I had more to offer uh, to the electronic music world than just playing other people's music. So uh, I wanted to pick up production. And, and the learning curve is much steeper, especially for me. Uh, I don't have a background in music. I never played an instrument. I don't know how to read music. Uh, you know, so it was kind of like taking shots in the dark for a while. And it, it's super rewarding because like I said, it, it is a very difficult thing to pick up. So once I got into it, you kind of get this, like, uh, I, I don't want to say it's an addiction, but it's a, a continuous, uh, like, just a continuous process trying to learn more, get more done, become better at it. So once I once I got a taste of it, it was like there was no turning back. I couldn't stop, you know? Right. And you mentioned you brought up the instrument thing. In terms of, of music, do you think with electronic music that there's a lot of people, I guess people, you might say, <clears throat> some people like myself who've played an instrument most of my life, that electronic music is thinking like the easy way out and not learning like music theory um, would be a hindrance. However, I don't really actually take that perspective, but... In terms of electronic music and how it's grown and how it keeps growing um, with the subgenres and how it, they are, do you think not knowing maybe the intricacies of music theory might help because you, it allows you to be a little bit more creative? Or is that I, well, you know, I've always wondered that in this. You know, I mean, obviously well, I, I'm a fan, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know, I think that the, there's two sides to both of you know, because on one hand, I think you're right. A lot of people who do know intense 
music theory, like, they tend to stick to what they know, and they, they have the set rules, and they know where the chord progression should go. But also, at the same time, you can make the argument that if you know the rules, then you know how to break the rules as well. And then, on the other hand, if you don't know music theory and you're relying only on your ears, you're, you're going to, you know, there's a possibility that you're going to be able to come up with something a little bit more unique and creative if you have the ear for it, but without the technical knowledge that if you just trust your ears and go with whatever flows, that you might come up with something unique or unheard of before, which is, at this point, it, it, you know, music has come so far that really nothing is unheard of. You could say that everything is a little bit derivative of something that has already been out. So, you know, I, I think it's a, it's kind of a bit of a catch-22. And I think, honestly, even um, the people who do know music theory, like, I've talked to plenty of musicians about this, uh, they, and they've said, well, first off, I had no idea that you had no background in music theory. And then they've gone on to say that it doesn't really it doesn't really help them in the sense that you know they're able to uh, write music any easier than I would. It's just that they, again they know the rules and they know how to how to break them when they come to say if, if they want to make their chord progression more interesting. They know you know how to do like borrowed chords and stuff like that. But the, when it comes to coming up with new ideas, they're uh, they're not any better off than someone without music theory. You know. Right. I I just always, you know, want just been curious the more, you know, I have gotten into electronic music and knowing that I came from learning an instrument and I still, you know, know how to play it. It's kind of one of those I've heard the argument on both sides, so I was just curious yeah. uh what well, your thoughts I, were on I I love that topic though because like I said I yeah. I have no background in, in music theory, so it's always awesome to talk to people who have either played an instrument and get on this topic because you could go on for days about the importance of it and all that sort of stuff. So, <laughs> Right. So you talk about – we hear more and more about aliases in electronic music. I mean, you know, Marcus Sanz Dakota, uh, Gloria Gela under Ferry Corson is killing it right now. Um, you, you have your aliases like – what is it about an alias in, you know, in trance and in progressive uh, that is appealing um, as a producer? Is it because you feel a bit sense of freedom that you can kind of change your sound or try something that you wouldn't under a different name? Yeah, I, I think there could be a lot of reasons for it. For for instance, with, uh, you know, Marcus Schultz, the Dakota Project is a lot darker and you know, more mysterious, whereas, you know, his Marcus Schultz stuff might be a little bit more accessible to the to the public. But um it, it, it I think it originated back uh back when labels would do like what what are called three sixty deals for an artist. So, you know, Ferry Corson couldn't release all of his music with the one record label and he still wanted to put it out, so he created these aliases to be able to put out that music with different record labels when the the main one that he was signed to wasn't picking it up. So that's where it kind of originates from, but I think a lot of artists do have that sense of freedom where they think, you know, oh, well, if I put this style of music out under my my main alias, then a lot of people would be a little confused or maybe even upset. But if I put it out under a different alias, people might be able to connect with it more. So I think that's the argument to be made on, on that front. <laughs> right. And 
it's interesting though because this I feel like I guess maybe it's just do you feel that the the genre is changing in terms of people like doing the research and understanding kind of where the music is coming from that may be different than it was years ago or um, do you believe it's just because people believe that maybe an alias is a way for somebody to not be bored in the industry? Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I think it really depends on the on the individual, right, and what they're doing because I, I I've seen I've seen some artists actually just do the same thing under a new alias. Um and and then you have guys like Marcus who where it's a, like black and white, the difference between the two styles. So uh I think it really just it's just a case by case basis and I think you 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 make a really good point with like what people might might come to know from an artist or or from the genre that you know if you just throw it out all out under one name that you know it it might upset a couple people or whatever so uh, <laughs> i again I think it just comes down to the individual right, so let's talk a little bit more about your projects um in course. You mentioned like some of the the labels that you released, and of course I followed you on, on some of these releases. So um, I know you're going to be playing Cold Harbor Day, and if it's going to you have Cold Harbor Day coming up. So yeah. how how does that kind of all come about? I know uh, for those that may not know what Cold Cold Harbor Day is. Um, so Cold Harbor. Cold Arbor Day is like a yearly uh, over 24-hour stream on After Hours, and they usually invite the active Cold Harbor guys. Since I had really two releases recently on Cold Harbor, uh, you know, it was as simple. They just reached out and said, hey, do you want to be a part? Of course I do. So <laughs> so they invited me to be on this year's, which is, uh, which is awesome because um, there's so many great artists I look up to on Cold Harbor and even work alongside. Like, I've played... I played alongside like Nifra, uh, Fisherman and Hawkins, for example, uh, and you know Rex Mundy is one of my favorite artists, and he's on the lineup as well. So um, I'm really excited about that. And uh, like like I said, it's just uh, you know whoever I guess whoever is active with the Cold Harbor Recordings imprint, they invite them to do an hour long set. Uh, they have some of the live recordings happening this year, so um, it's always like a really big deal and something that I look forward to. Um, just because you also get a lot of exclusive music in this mixes. Uh, like, for example, I have a couple new tracks I haven't played anywhere else that I'm, I'm, I'm including as part of my mix this year, so I'm really excited about that. Awesome. And in terms of, like, the Cold Harbor label, like, I'm obviously a fan, but the sound to each label, is the intricacy, do you think is that why you kind of gravitated traded towards um, Cold Harbor, or is it just kind of how the business, it just depends? Well, I think Cold Harbor does release a very specific sound, but um, for me, it, uh, Marcus Schultz was one of my favorite artists to go see live, uh, just because, you know, his extended sets were just the, like the epitome of a great trance set, because he would start, you know, deep, 
dark progressive stuff, work his way into the main, you know, the peak hour stuff, and then and then the after hours, which is always the best part. Like, you know, 4 a.m., seeing Marcus Scholes, you really get the heart of what the Cold Harbor sound is. So for me, that was always really inspiring. And uh, Cold Harbor was one of the labels I always playlisted in my own sets. Uh, and like I said, I look up to a lot of these artists who have been releasing on there. So for me, it was always in the back of my head that I wanted to be on Cold Harbor and release with them. Um, and I think, you know, at this point, it, I, I don't uh, necessarily uh, pigeonhole myself to one sound. So, you know, Cold Harbor isn't the only label that I work with. And it's not because I, I, I like, in an ideal world, yeah, they would be able to put out all of my music, but not everything that I make fits that Cold Harbor sound. So... Um, I think it's a bit of both where it's, you know, a, it's both a business thing because not everything that I make fits on Cold Harbor, but it's also, you know, a personal bucket list kind of thing just coming from the history of the label that I wanted to work with them, so. Right. And in terms of, like, you know, some of the other labels like Armada and stuff like that, is it just, you know, within the genre of, you know, making sure your releases go stick with those um, kind of sounds, or is it just having diversity across? Well, for me, I don't really, I don't set out to create a certain sound when I make music. So I actually work backwards. I finish the song first, and then I think, okay, like this will be for Cold Harbor, or this will be for FSOE. You know, it really depends on what the finished product sounds like. and um for me, I, I, I also don't really uh, care too much about, like, conforming to that label's sound either. So it's like, it's it's kind of like Russian roulette sometimes where I'll send them something and I'll be on the fence and be like, well, I'm not really sure if they're going to be 100% interested in it because I don't really sit there and analyze the uh, the sound of the label or whatever, but I think, okay, this might work with this label or, or the other. So it's uh, it's sometimes it's a bit of a gamble, but... I prefer to work that way because it's just more, uh, I, it's more inspiring, and I, I can I can stay more motivated in working on music just without any kind of boundaries to it. Right. So, in in terms of working in that order, do you think that allows you to be a little bit more creative and not just absolutely? Yeah, absolutely. And I think. A lot of people get really caught up in, oh, it has to sound exactly like their last releases or it has to fit their live sets. And I, I really, I really try to be conscious of, of not working like that because I think it, it really, first off, it, it can be very discouraging. I mean, like, for instance, uh, Cold Harbor releases, uh, tracks for Fisherman and Hawkins that just like blow everybody's, production out of the water so for up-and-coming artists uh for you to try and compete with that you know you're setting the standard really high and that actually i think that hinders you the most is just comparing yourself your production quality to the finished product of these commercial releases on these bigger labels so you know i think a lot of people get very discouraged with that and um at this point i'm very confident in what i put out so uh and i think that's come from from that uh, mindset of just trying to work on music that I love, what I want it to sound like, and getting it up to the production quality that I can, whatever I'm capable of, and then sending it out. Because, I, I mean, I know plenty of people who, who they should strive for the one record label, and 
they fall short of that, and then they don't know what to do because they've spent all their time, you know, conforming to this sound, and then when it gets denied, they're, you know, it's like back to square one. So I think, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely, there's a sense of freedom in, in not really caring to conform to the sound, you know? Right. So you mentioned your radio show, which I've listened to on After Hours FM. So for the listeners that, you know, might not be aware, um, is it more of just mixes and, like, the music you're into within the genre, or is it kind of just centered around something specific with the music, or kind of how do you put that together? Well... The thing with my radio show is it actually started as a, a podcast, uh, and I would just do the mixes. Like, the first couple episodes, they, they didn't actually have a radio show home. Um, I would just put them up on iTunes. So um, when I first started doing Moniverse Radio, I always set out to do it, just play music that other people weren't playing. Like, you, a lot of the tracks that you hear on my radio show, um, you won't hear them on, you know, a state of trance, or you won't hear them in live sets from other DJs, and I really set out with the mindset of providing uh, new music for people, because I, unfortunately in the trans world, I, I think there's only a select few outlets, right? There's like, you know, a state of trans, global DJ broadcast, uh, group therapy, and then, you know, there's not really, like other genres of music have like, uh, you know, a, a big blog network that supports all these new artists, and we don't really have that in the trans world, so you see all these releases coming out, that don't get supported by Armin or Marcus or above and beyond, and then they fly right under the radar. So I've always had it in my mind to play fresh new music that nobody else is really playing that I love um, and and put that out just because I want to support these guys. And, I mean, I'd like to say that I have good taste as well. So, (laughs) you know, when I put out the mixes, I try and get behind the music that I love that nobody else is playing and uh, just do that consistently. And it, it seems to be working because a lot of people, uh, a lot of people, I get messages every once in a while that are like, hey, you know, thanks for, you know, playing these, these like, playing these tracks because I, I've never heard them and I would have no idea where to find them. So uh, that's always been the, the mentality for me is just find new music and play it out. Right. And as as you mentioned, you know, for music that hasn't fly, flying out of the radar, that's kind of what I do. That's why I, like, reach out to people that, you know, I find talented, and that's kind of what I like to highlight with with this podcast and, you know, the blog I run and all that. So I just feel like there's, you know, it seems like everybody either has a podcast, like, it's kind of funny, or they have a radio show. Do you think that it's because mainstream, I mean, we're kind of, in a way, still underground, but still not, you know what I mean? Like, like in terms of trance music, there's a big, there's a lot of us in fans, but it's not as mainstream as people would like to think. Is that yeah. why do you think that there are a lot of shows and a lot of podcasts to highlight the talent that's out there? Well, I think it's become a standard for anyone who 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 does this seriously to have um, all these outlets, right? Like you know, you have your radio shows, you have your own record labels, you have your own music, and then whatever else that comes with all that. And I think it's because once one guy does it, you know, once Armin was successful with the state of trance, other people look to that and they think, okay, now I have to do that because 
you know, he's set the standard and now you have to live up to that or else you're not going to get booked or whatever. So I think, and especially in the trans world because, um, like I said, we, we're kind of stuck in this, in this, uh, this, uh, I would say like a marketing standpoint where we only have those outlets. We don't have like blogs and big, you know, Facebook and Twitter networks that, uh, or like YouTube channels that are really growing at the rate that other genres do. So we're kind of stuck in this, what's called like DJ promo pool mentality where record labels send out the promos to DJs to play on their radio show. And we don't really have any other outlets outside of that that are really uh, helping to grow artists' careers. So, I mean, in an ideal world, that would change. But for now, that's kind of what we have to do is, you know, you run the radio shows, you run your record labels, and you hope for the best. <laughs> right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I was just, you know, maybe it's because I, I, I'm a fan of, like, all of this, and, like, I've been, you know, in this world, and, and I, I appreciated that that kind of side, but it's it's funny when you talk to people that are not fans or don't really know about the music, and you have to explain kind of the intricacies of it all. So, yeah. other, other than Cold Harbor Day and, and you know, whatever, what, what's in store for you coming up? I, I, other than, like, maybe what you're working on. Oh, yeah, I mean... Well, right now I have uh, three, I think three original tracks in the pipeline, uh, and then a bunch of remixes that still haven't come out. So I think, you know, especially in the trance world, you know, the singles are are definitely kind of the the standard. You know, you have your single releases and you have your remixes. But uh, I think very soon, I've already started to put together pieces of of an album which I think is kind of what what lasts with people if you do it right. Uh, you don't really see a lot of artists doing full-length albums, and I'm finally at the point now where I have enough uh, in the release schedule to feel comfortable to start really working on it. So I think after, uh, I'm going to say maybe one or two more originals I get finished, I'm actually going to uh, sit down and really get to work on finishing that album, hopefully uh, for the start of uh, 2017. Um, I mean, that's kind of an ambitious deadline, but that's what I'm going to say for now. <laughs> and uh, other than that, uh, I'm playing a couple of shows coming up. Uh, for instance, um, I'm playing Detroit for the first time uh, this coming Friday, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, I'll be joining the Thrill Seekers in El Paso uh, in August, and a couple other shows that haven't been announced yet. So, uh, I'm really excited about those, and after that, we'll just see what happens. <laughs> right, and in terms of like expanding, I know the well. In terms of expanding, you know, and making transfer in different areas, I know that here in Arizona, our group is is growing. Um, our scene is so. What do you think it takes for uh, scenes to grow in terms of whether DJs and producers want to perform there as opposed as well as like getting booked there and kind of what other than like the logistics of it all what in a scene do you think in terms of like trans family you know here in Phoenix or San Francisco or wherever maybe like you mentioned Detroit like 
where do you think that comes from? Do you think it's the numbers or the demand, or is it just kind of the opportunity available? Well, I think I think it's a combination of all those things, and it, obviously numbers are important. But I think the downfall of many local scenes is. Um, competition, well, I mean, competition is really healthy for a scene, right? But I, I've noticed that a lot of local scenes that are trying to grow, there's no sense of camaraderie between promoters or, you know, like lo- local little trans family groups or whatever. Um, and I've seen scenes try to get off the ground. Um, for instance, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'll make an example, actually. Uh, I played, I'm not going to say where it was, but I, I played a show and the promoter was just starting out, and he reached out to a local trans family page uh, who was doing a, a, an event that same night, but it was a techno event. So he messaged the page, and he said, hey, you know, we're throwing a trans show, and, uh, uh, you know, could, we, could you help us with promoting it? And the local trans family page was like, no, we're doing an event, uh, and we refuse to help you promote. And I think when that happens, you're really hindering the growth of a local scene. Whereas if you you have to think about it like this, like we're all in the same boat, uh, and and for anyone to be successful in music, whether you're a promoter, whether you're an artist, whether you're uh, you know just a local DJ, um, we're all in the same boat collectively. And the only way we're going to make it to where we're going is if we all paddle in the same direction. You know, if we help each other out, um, that's the only way for a local scene to grow. So when you're talking about these small local teams, you really need the collective mindset to be on the same path. And then that's when things really started to get going. For example, uh, with Detroit, um, a lot of the local DJs are actually either playing the event that I'm playing at this coming Friday, or they're really helping to promote it and make sure that, you know, the numbers are going to be right for the event and that they can continue to book these, you know, uh, like mid-tier you know, interesting trans acts that aren't, like, the biggest names and make sure there's still a good turnout. And that's how you cultivate a really strong local scene. Um, so that's a perfect example and one that I'm really excited to be a part of. Awesome. Yeah. I was just curious because, you know, I'm part, like, I'm excited there's other trans fans down here and, like, want to help out. But it's just funny how you you try and... You know, we could go down that road for a while, but um, yeah. in terms, and, and like, what do you see in part as like in terms of the overall scene? Do you think that because I like I asked this to Marcus about the whole EDM versus trance in terms of like elitism and and what you want to call it and all that? What is your take on that? Because there seems to be this big debate among the families. You know, and I like many subgenres of electronic music. I'm not just a trance fan. So, yeah. Where do you see this? Like, do you see, and also, like, in terms, I guess, the second part of the question would be why do you feel, why is there, like, a sense that trance left and now it's coming back? You know what I mean? Well, I think I'll answer the first part of the question first because that's a little bit easier. Um, because people people tend to only see what they're shown. So if you weren't active in the trans scene for a couple of years or if you didn't see these events coming around, then you would think, oh, you know, trans left and now it's coming back because it got totally overshadowed by the whole 
you know, the whole EDM thing blowing up in the States because you would see, like, you know, Axwell and Grosso getting booked at these, you know, mega clubs. But you wouldn't hear about the small little trance events. So a lot of people would think, just based on that, oh, trance was dead for a while and now it's coming back. That's not the case, though. I think trance is, especially here in the States, trance has always had a really strong, um, like, by comparison to, say, like, drum and bass or, you know, some obscure genres, trance has always had some kind of strong representation, at least in the major cities. Like, I know New York, there's not a time in my life in the past 10 years that there wasn't at least two really good trance shows every month continuously. And that never that never went away. So in my head, trance never never went away and came back. And I think you get that, you get kind of, a lot of people lose sight of that because it was overshadowed or they didn't maybe they didn't see the events get posted up but it never went away it never died it it, it was always there just maybe maybe now we're starting to see festivals crop up like dream state in the states which is huge and that's awesome people don't have to go overseas to you know trans energy anymore because they have it right in their backyard so that's great um and as far as <laughs> I mean, the elitism in, in trance, I mean, I'm not one to uh, really keep a lid on answering this because it, it really grinds my gears. <laughs> but I think a lot of, regardless of what people want to think, I think a lot of people still have some kind of bandwagon mindset where, you know, oh, trance is 140 or trance is side trance and it's tech trance. But, you know, if it's if it's 132 BPM, it's not trance or whatever. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize it, but you're you're following a bandwagon. If you if you if you play like psytrance in your live sets, or you love hearing psytrance in your live sets now, it's not because you were always a big psytrance fan. It's because now that's a really hot sound. That's a really big thing. Guys like Vinny Vici are blowing up, and people uh, people are loving it. So people do kind of have that, that group sync mentality that whatever a certain artist is playing is the prime example of trance. And outside of that, they like to look down on other people. And I think that that's horrible for the scene because not only is it bad for the artists that they don't feel like they could be um, experimental with the sound, but also for people outside of the genre, what, when you're looking in and you see people bashing on each other for their taste. You don't want to be a part of that. So I think it's really it's really important for people to be open-minded about the definition of trance just because it actually encourages people to be more involved. If they see that people are accepting of what artists are doing, more artists will be inclined to be a part of the scene. So um, I, I can go on for days. you got to stop me now. But <laughs> uh, you know, I think that that's a, that's a really important to- topic to talk about because you know, even going back to what you asked me with the local scene and everything, that's a big part of it, too, is creating an inviting community. And I think that's something that the trans scene as a whole could really benefit from, is just having an open-minded, accepting mindset and really, like, instead of bashing the artists that you think aren't doing the right thing, why not just keep your mouth shut and, and support the artists that you love, and then it's a win-win for everybody. You know, you're not supporting the artists that that you dislike or whatever, but you're also creating a public uh, a public acceptance of the artists that you do love. So, I think more people have to be aware of that. Right, and I agree. Like, I don't I don't condone any of that 
I mean, if I don't particularly like a sound, I don't like. I understand that I don't necessarily have to be a fan of that, but I yeah. But I don't appreciate the whole like. This is if you only listen to these artists, that's trans, and like, I mean, we we make jokes and stuff, but I think people need to realize like, if we didn't have like the evolution of everybody, then we kind of really wouldn't even have a genre. Exactly. Um, so. All right. Well, I don't want to keep you too long on your Sunday. Uh, I know we're recording this on a Sunday, so I I appreciate and Yeah, obviously we could talk for a long time, but I'm not sure the listeners want to hear for the next day or two. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. I could go on forever, but, you know, thank you so much for, for the opportunity. And, uh, you know, keep doing these awesome uh, interviews with people. It's really important. So thanks for doing that as well. All right, yeah, and for people that, unlike me, I'm a little, I know where to find you, but for the listeners out there that are new to your sound and maybe want to hear more of your stuff or check out your radio show, where can we find you? Uh, you know, all the radio shows you can find on soundcloud.com slash moniverse as well as all my original work. Uh, you can go to my website, moniversemusic.com, or if you're a podcaster, uh, you can search the iTunes store for Moniverse Radio. Uh, that's a twice-monthly mix that you could grab. And uh, otherwise, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever, just search Monoverse and you can find me. Awesome. Well, I, again, I appreciate you joining the podcast, and, and we will definitely chat out and chat again in the future. And, and you know, I'll be tuning in to Cold Harbor Day here in a few days. So um, awesome, and I look forward to still following you and kind of spreading the word. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye.